0: Hey there Bulldogs. Welcome to Career Chat. This is Kylie, your host, an alumnus of DeSales University and a former career ambassador. I'm so excited to be hosting this podcast to help provide you with valuable information relating to career development. Prepare to hear from some amazing people as we help you explore your interests, develop your skills, and implement a plan for a fruitful career in the future. With that being said, let's get started with this week's episode. Dr. Brand, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and zooming in on this wonderful evening uh, to talk to me a little bit about your career and um, sort of your journey to healthcare in general.
1: Yeah, I'm super happy to be here. Um, in general, I will do whatever it takes to support the sales because I loved my time there. So super grateful for you having me. I'm very excited to talk to another future female physician also.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So why don't you start off by telling me a little bit sort of about your journey to DeSales.
1: Um, I wish I could say it was super well thought out. I had looked at a lot of really big schools thinking like, Oh, I want to be a doctor. And the best way to be a doctor is to go to a big school with a big name. So I'd looked at all these schools and then I realized very quickly, I'm not a city girl. Mm -hmm. And then I was sort of left in this place where I looked at all these schools, but didn't like any of them. And then the sales kind of found me a little bit in that the, um, the soccer coach of the time reached out to me said, Hey, we're in PA. We like, I'm not entirely sure how that connection happened, but, Mm um, I drove through the campus and loved it. I mean, DeSales is beautiful, so it's not hard to fall in love with the campus. And then, um, the soccer coach came out to one of my soccer games and watched as like a kind of a formal recruitment thing. Mm -hmm. And she loved it and I loved it. And it sort of fell into place from there. And I got a couple of good scholarships based on academics and the rest is history.
0: (laughs) Are you originally from Pennsylvania? I'm not. uh, I'm a military brat. So I grew up, I moved
1: probably every two years growing up. I was born in Michigan and I had some stints in Virginia and Rhode Island and Florida and Michigan again. You've been all over. My parents live in Western Maryland, and they kind of were looking for me to go to a Maryland school for the tuition. But then when I got the scholarships to DeSales and loved it so much, they were kind of on board with that. But Mm
0: -hmm. I'm not particularly tied to any state. Um,
1: It's more just wherever my family was plopped down, became home. So
0: oh well, that's nice, though. You get to see a little bit of everything. Um, Yes. And DeSales is definitely unique that it's a very like variety of area like it's sort of not city and then there's a little bit of city and then you drive an hour and there's two cities so it's one of those places where it's kind of like in the middle of a lot of great opportunities mm-hmm. which I've always loved about um Pennsylvania and specifically the Lehigh Valley in general
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah definitely
0: but more specifically um I'm curious about sort of why you got into the field of medicine and more specifically why uh why a physician?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I feel like it was a long road, I think. So one of the best interview questions I got asked was, um, like, I obviously have this vocation and we'll kind of talk about it towards global health. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I had a physician ask me, well, why, why did you choose medicine? Right. Like you could do global public health or you could do teaching or you could do social outreach or, you know, construction, like there's literally a thousand ways to help people. So why did you choose medicine? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it, so it all goes back for me to when I was in high school. Um, I did one of those like classic church mission trips with my church at the time um, to Haiti and I think there's honestly, this is very like serendipitous and a little cheesy, but there was actually like one moment where I saw a child who had um, the medical term for it is kwashiorkor. It's actually a Ghanaian word. It means the disease the firstborn gets when the second child is born. And basically what it happens is these children are born. And then when the second child's born, they're weaned off of breast milk. And that's their only source of protein. And it's a really severe form of protein energy, like malnutrition. And so when you become severely protein malnourished, um, you get skin breakdown. It's kind of like the classic picture of the African you, kid you see online with like the really big belly. Mm-hmm. You get anasarca, so a lot of like intra-abdominal fluid because of the low protein content and the osmotic fluid shifts and things like that. And so... Um, I saw I saw that for the first time, and, and I was very specific in that I was like I very specifically want to help children through medicine.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the irony of that, I think, was that my worst subject in high school was science. Um, I, Me too.
0: Yeah. I did so bad in science. I almost failed <laughs> chemistry. Okay, so see, and I think that's a good
1: testament to be able to say like just because you're not good at something in high school doesn't it's not destiny. Um, <laughs> Because I think a lot of that too has to be with uh, has to do with how it's taught. Um yes. <laughs> and so that's when I was like, medicine's my thing. I want to take care of kids, um, and then from then on, it was always. I really just enjoyed learning more. Once I took my first anatomy class at DeSales, uh, human structure and function, oh, um, that class like lit a fire under my butt in a major way. I loved it. Just Even though it was raw me- memorization, um, when Dr. Burns was going through all the different, you know, why things happen and lecturing me about, like, I can't ask the questions about, like, why they happen, but how. And I just, I... From then on, was like anatomy. I love anatomy. I love working with my hands. Um, and then from then, I ended up working with a surgeon in Ghana um, later in college for a sort of a public health project. And. I wasn't there to work in surgery, but he kind of pulled me aside one day and asked if I wanted to scrub on a thyroidectomy. Um, Mm -hmm. And he was very clear, like I was hands off the whole time. It was pretty professional, like don't be involved unless I say so kind of thing. But he took Mm -hmm. my finger at one point and put it on the carotid artery. And I said, surgery. (laughs) And ever since then, it's been surgery, surgery, surgery. And I was right. Uh, Anytime I do anything but that, or if I'm pulled from the operating room for too long, I get um, sort of antsy and so it really worked out and it was all just a series of events and having this feeling that you might be good at this or this this fire that you feel when you do this means something. So follow it. And I did. And it it really worked out well for me. I was very fortunate.
0: That's wonderful. Oh, my goodness. When I was in high school, the only reason I had passed uh, honors chemistry was because on the last day of school, he asked us to bring in tissue boxes as like extra credit. And he somehow like wrote that off as like, you know, the reason why he could pass me. I remember being like, there's no way I'm going to get into any science because if it's anything like this, then absolutely not <laughs>
1: yeah it's so frustrating I had the same thing but my teacher I went to a school where like the future farmers of America was really big it was in the middle of nowhere Maryland and like oh, wow my teacher was like this wonderful corn-fed woman who like <laughs> if you didn't understand the way she taught like you were just not Yeah, you just couldn't hang, you know, and it was like, there was no like the Dr. Himmelberger where she'll like teach it 500 different ways until you understand it. There was none of that. And so it was kind of hard. Um, And I don't know, it's frustrating because you see so many kids like give up on things in high school because of those experiences. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, oh, if only you knew,
0: if only they taught it from human anatomy backwards, sort of moving on. So what was the application process like when you were applying to medical school?
1: So I was the last year to take the old MCAT that was graded on like the
0: scale of like
1: one to 36, I think Mm it was. Um, And so it was, I mean, it was other than that it wasn't dissimilar so it was take the MCAT score on the MCAT hope you do well enough otherwise take it again yep. uh, I was very average and I'm still a very average uh, standardized test taker so back then a 27 was average uh, back then oh my gosh um, <laughs> a 27 was average and I took it again and I got a 27 again and so of course I got a lot of questions about that in my interviews like why didn't you improve This and the other thing but um I think the biggest the most important part for me was getting to an interview and so um, I knew if I could get myself there then someone could see that I'm a human being who just struggles with standardized testing but overall is a pretty like kick butt student who does a lot of sports and is engaged and so uh, the application process for me I'd say was uh, putting a lot of emphasis on my on my resume and finding Mm -hmm. things that were really passionate um parts of my life, whether that was sports or community service and specifically global health um, yeah. and making that a huge part of my resume and saying like, look, I'm not a number on a standardized test. Um, and then the interviews for me were probably my favorite part. It was like meeting the humans on the other end of the application process and, Um, just sort of explaining like who I am as a person and trying to get that across. And I feel like it really came across because I I mean, despite being very average, I got a lot of interviews and Mm -hmm. got a lot of offers and ultimately decided on Penn State. Um, I was deciding between there and the University of Maryland.
0: I completely agree. I just got my MCAT score back yesterday and I did completely average and I was absolutely devastated for like a day and a half. Um, I'm gonna retake it anyways because I'm yeah. me. And of course, like, you know, yeah. I feel like I don't know, I feel like with some pre-meds, and I'm sure if you spoke to Dr. Himmelberger about me, she'd say the same thing. Like, I just cannot, like, I need to try again. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, <Yep. laughs> so it's one of those things where I'm like, it's okay, but like I just I just wanna try again. Um, mm. but I feel very similarly in the fact that I think that I have like a wonderful story. I've been a healthcare worker for three years more than three years. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> but so I've been working with people for so long in like direct contact and just reaffirming mm-hmm. this, uh, like desire to become a physician. And mm-hmm. like a lot of people, I feel like I have a really good story to tell. I suffer from a chronic condition, which I think also, you know, gives something and perspective that not a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also agree. I think that getting your foot in the door is the hardest part and then once you can talk to people I love talking to people it's my favorite thing (laughs) Um, (laughs) it takes a special
1: type of person to run a podcast (laughs) I would be very nervous about it so like the fact that you do this shows something
0: I never thought I would be running a podcast if you talk to anyone I knew anyone I know they would be like Kylie, you are not the kind of person that's going to run a podcast. And then I just fell into this role and I fell in love with just learning from people. And I, I didn't know it was something I liked. And then I was just like, Oh my gosh, like, I'm learning so much about stuff that I know absolutely nothing about. I've talked to mm-hmm. people in like business and education and I'm like, oh my goodness, there's so much to learn out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. It really is about just getting your foot in the door and being able to tell your story. And I think a mm-hmm. lot of pre-meds, especially and people going into any healthcare sort of field where they have to apply. I feel like sometimes it lo- we lose sight of that and it's more mm-hmm. about grades, 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 you know, that's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing Mm -hmm. that's going to get you through. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'd love for you to expand a little bit upon that and sort of what is your thought process surrounding that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, so uh, when I was in medical school, somebody asked me if you could do college differently, what would you do different? And I said, I would study less. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting because it could be that studying as much as I did got me to where I am. It could be, I think when you're at, you know, two AM crying over your physics homework, probably isn't doing you much good, you know. Yeah. And so we get so in our heads, and I say we because I just I know I'm not the only one who's like this. Um, mm-hmm. Get so in our heads that the numbers are so important that, and you catastrophize over, you know. I got a B in this or a C in this, but I mean, I got a B minus in chemistry and I'm still here and I got to be in biology in high school and I'm still here. And so mm. I would argue, especially lately, um, there's been a lot of shifts. COVID kind of prompted it, but I think beyond that, Um, there's been many shifts to using the standardized testing for what it was intended for, which is pass fail. Um, So a lot of the step exams now, um, which are the medical licensure exams you take as a medical student, those Mm -hmm. are now becoming pass fail. Um, And so I think now the emphasis, even among selection committees for medical school and student residencies is becoming what type of person is this? What do they do? Um, Because, you know, we're we're moving towards even in the po- current political environment right we're moving towards a healthcare force that's going to care for all populations equally and mm-hmm. part of that is being a whole person yourself and being a self-aware person and knowing um your own biases your own microaggressions and making yourself really aware and so um i th- i expect that the trend will continue to be that way because the i think the general population is demanding a different type of healthcare worker now mm-hmm. um, and that's a person who really is a real person and therefore by proxy cares about a person as a whole. Um, and I think that's in, in just invaluable in so many ways. <laughs> uh, and so I'm obviously biased because I'd like to think that, um, uh, if you ask if I'm whether or not I was somebody who met the numbers or met the type of person, I was more the type of person that people were looking for because my numbers were, were average. Mm-hmm. Um, but That's also a good lesson because every step of the way, I got my first choice of school, first choice of residency, Mm -hmm. my choice of specialty, and I I was average, right? And so (laughs) um, it's a testament to all the rumors that go around that say grades are everything is absolutely not true. It just takes maybe a little fire compared to the people who are stellar in grades.
0: Yeah, and I will say too, it really is just about, you know, Making those connections, even if it is just an interview or like a 10 minute conversation, Mm -hmm. leaving that mark and, you know, having them think, wow, that's a really passionate person Mm -hmm. and having them sort of, you know, back burner is obviously they got to the interview. Obviously, they're academically qualified. We got them here. So Mm -hmm. making the focus really on yourself and not the fact of like oh I got a bad grade in high school or not in like my freshman year of college, Mm -hmm. bringing that up on honestly does you more disservice and I think a lot Mm -hmm. of students feel like they need to explain like I got a single bad grade in freshman year biology class but like it was my first class and I didn't know how to study. And I always tell people, I, you don't need to talk about it. It's okay. They get yes. it. They understand. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, people are human, especially freshman year. Yes. I was like, what's yeah. going on? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. And it's odd, I would never bring any of that up unless I was specifically asked about it. But mm-hmm. um, you've mentioned a couple times networking. And I think... There, you seem like very much somebody who can network well. <laughs> um, I try. <laughs> um, I, as like the awkward turtle, was struggling a little more with some of that. And just the idea of having to form connections with strangers, even still, so, I mean, I went into surgery for a reason, right? Like I like it when my humans are sedated on a table. And so um, there, I, I, when I was in the Ryan Leadership Institute there, they talked a lot about networking as just like caring about other people Yes, and that was a pretty big breakthrough for me in terms of like when I went to an interview and I talked about something with somebody. Um, I my follow up thank you note was like we talked about this. I just wanted to follow up and say like I loved this conversation and I'm curious <laughs> if you have more to say about X, Y, or Z, um, mm-hmm. or like. Someone brought up like, oh, my wife is interested in like educating surgeons and surgical education and how to best like simulate it. Mm-hmm. And so afterwards, I was like, I want to hear more about what your wife does. Like, forget about you. Let's tell me about your <laughs> wife. <huh>? Um, but <laughs> so just so, like that became my networking. Instead of like, I just need to form as many com- connections as possible. I think it was yeah. more about like, what do I care most about in in this person, and what did they care about in me, and how did we connect, and how can I like further nurture that. Um, and that helped a lot as somebody who doesn't necessarily love social (laughs) interaction all the time. I don't either. So
0: (laughs) I also do not, but working in the career (laughs) development center is really the thing that sort of pushed me to do that. I did not want to do it. I'm going to be, very. (laughs) I was like, I don't want to talk to people, but one of the, so I transferred to DeSales. And one of the first things I did as soon as I got there is I walked around I can't believe I did this. I walked around to all the science faculty and I introduced myself and I like basically told them my entire life story. And in the interview I had uh, yesterday, they literally like remembered that entire situation. I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, you probably thought I was so weird. Followed you, <laughs> <laughs> walked into your office and I mean, now they know me. But mm-hmm. also I went to a conference in Philadelphia, it was the Pennsylvania Conference for Women, and I think the CEO of Target was there. And the the seminar was on um, networking. And so what she mm-hmm. had us do was literally um, switch seats with everyone in the room. There were probably like 100 people in the room, which now thinking of COVID is terrifying. Uh, <laughs> but there were so many people in the room. And we sat down next to strangers we didn't know. And she said, I want you to talk about everything except for what you're like your job is what you're actually what your job is and basically what she taught all of us and what I thought was so amazing is that we always think of people as sort of what we can get out of them and like what we can do with that especially people who are networking who are kind of only seeing from like the self point of view Mm -hmm. there's so much more to that and when you take the time to just have a conversation about what you're passionate about I sat next to someone who works in marketing, but we both absolutely love baking. And we <laughs> talked about that. And oh my goodness, come to find out that her her son is a physician. And I ended up, you know, getting his email. And But mm-hmm. that came so naturally because we were talking about things we love. We were talking about our families. And things like that come up naturally. It's not, it shouldn't be like a, so what are you going to do for me? And what can yeah. I do for you? And mm-hmm. also not everyone, you know, not everyone is like the networking type or wants to be a mentor. And I think that's important Mm -hmm. to acknowledge. I've always, the people that I've found most receptive and the people who are my mentors currently are people who are so excited about helping other students out. Mm -hmm. And it makes me excited that they care so much about what's going on in my life. And it makes Mm -hmm. me feel so supported. But obviously like you're not going to get that connection from every single person you talk to Mm -hmm. and I think that's also important to acknowledge because some people are very busy and also some people they're just not super passionate about you know sharing the wealth of wisdom they just kind of want to live their lives which is fine but I think that um learning how to network is very difficult and it takes Mm -hmm. a while it really takes a while Mm -hmm. I still have moments where I'm like, I feel so incredibly awkward, just like (laughs) speaking a word and there it's just, it's bad sometimes, but you get better at it and you learn that, Mm -hmm. you know, it really is just what you're passionate about and Mm -hmm. through your passions, you can connect with others.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. And I feel like too, like the more you do it, the better it gets. (laughs) So I avoided it for a really long time. I think I did myself a disservice.
0: What I was going to ask you next actually is and completely unrelated, but I was curious when you were speaking earlier, what type of, so, so you're a general surgery resident, correct? Yeah. Yes. So are you interested in general surgery? Or are you looking to specialize? And if you are, what type of surgery are you looking to go into?
1: Yeah, good question, um, because this is a very confusing thing to, to have to kind of explain. And mm-hmm. so basically, there are different types of surgical residencies. Yeah. Um, so if you go from general surgery, you can become a couple different things. There's vascular surgery. Um, some cardiothoracic surgeons come from general surgery. Um, you can do pediatric surgery, colorectal surgery. Um, there's a bunch of different options. The general ones that are their own entities are orthopedics. Um, ears, ear, nose and throat and urology are usually their own in neurosurgery. Yeah. So I chose general surgery mostly because I wanted to, to be really effective in a public health setting. Um, so especially if I were in a lower middle income country, I wanted to know how to kind of be a jack of all trades. Okay. Uh, I do plan on specializing. I want to operate on kids. So okay. I'm eventually going to work towards being a pediatric surgeon.
0: Amazing. Oh my goodness. So yeah. If you become a pediatric surgeon, and this is kind of, I don't know the whole process behind this. So that means you have like no limitations in terms of like scope of practice within surgery, correct? Uh,
1: yeah. So most pediatric surgeons, it, it's actually super, you'll learn, um, especially like with trauma surgery too, the The diversity in job opportunity is tremendous. Um, so there are pediatric surgeons who only practice pediatric surgery like only kids, only in an academic center. And so that is their only population. Mm-hmm. Um, there are pediatric surgeons who are, basically you do finish your general surgery residency and then you do a fellowship for two years where you only work on kids. And then at that point, you are board certified in pediatric surgery once you pass your boards. Um, and so there are people who have done that and they still practice general surgery. So they continue to take their boards, board exams in general surgery, but they're also certified in pediatric surgery. And so part of their practice is pediatric surgery. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on what you want for your life. And um, some people will say, I really want to be in academia and I really want to work on kids full time and have the really interesting congenital anomalies. the really complicated cases that would only be found at a big academic center and then some people say, you know, I really like rural surgery and it doesn't bother me if I do hernias for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. um, so it really just depends. And I think uh, I'll probably find some mix therein um, that involves mm-hmm. global health in some way. But um, that part, I think I'm still trying to figure out that I think depend, too, on the job market. But
0: mm-hmm. Also, um, I guess one of the questions I have, um, you did a wonderful presentation with the Pre-Health Committee and, or the Pre-Health Club. And I absolutely loved all the advice you gave. Um, I was just wondering if there was any specifics in terms of what kind of advice you have for students who are applying to medical school, either things that, you know, looking back, things you wish you did differently, or just suggestions that you've seen along the way, having interacted now with medical students being a resident, um, things that you think are very important for pre-meds to consider when they're applying.
1: Good question. Um, so I think I won't reiterate this, but from earlier kind of what I said about balancing your grades with like who you are as a person, mm-hmm. I just think it's very important to care more about who you are as a person. Um, and things will fall into place. Um, mm-hmm. and to me it's work ethic has been probably 90% of it and 10% of it has been just like raw intelligence. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, you, you, you can have 90% of the work ethic and be walk hand in hand with some of the people who are 90% of the intelligence and 10% of the work, right? So
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I think part of that is just having, a recognizing this is a marathon, not a sprint, putting your head down and saying, I'm in this for the long haul and not, you know, burning yourself out, spinning your wheels too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, the name of the school that you go to doesn't matter one bit for medical school. Um, so now that I'm part of the process of selecting, um, residents from medical school. Mm Um, we really don't care where you're coming from. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think that's a big part of it is people think, Oh, the name of the school really matters. I have to go to this big fancy school. Um, and so even in residency, when I made my rank list, I ranked university of Utah first above places with really big names. And it was just really like, this is the best fit for me. So, Mm -hmm. Um, the other part of that is like, when you go to these medical schools and you interview, or even if you're doing it virtually, like find out where you're going to fit. Um, every medical school has an emphasis on something different. So at Penn state, it was humanities and it was a lot about treating the whole person and, um, think approaching medicine from a humanistic point of view. And mm-hmm. looking back on that now, I think it does a little bit change the the framework from which I approach every patient I meet. Um, Whereas like the University of Maryland was very proud to have a lot of funding for their research and they cared a lot about the research I had done as an undergrad and things like that. And so mm-hmm. um, think about what's important to you and your in your medical education and in your, you know, your big picture, your 15 year goal. Who do you want to end up as and then try and help your your school selection align with that? Um but also at the end of the day, if, if this is really what you want to do and you don't get in the first time, keep trying. Um, and I actually got that advice. Um, so I, I went straight through, um, but I had a bunch of medical students on service prior to that um, presentation I gave for the pre-health um the pre-health committee. And one of the things that they said, I had all these medical students and I kind of grilled them and I was like, what would you do now differently since they're a little closer to it? And mm-hmm. a lot of them said um, that they would just keep trying, like, just mm-hmm. keep going, keep going. A lot of them didn't go straight through or did a pre-professional program or did a post like back program um, and had a lot of good things to say about it. So, I mean, I think the, the long and short of it is like, figure out who you want to be 15 years from now. Um, and like, not just as a doctor, but as a person and like how that relates to how you are as a doctor or whatever career you want to be in and then start making your goals and your existence and your passions sort of line up with that a little bit. Um, and it's not to say don't try new things, but it's to say just, you know, trying try and have a general like theme and, and, and a general approach that is ultimately going to get you to where you want to be. And mm-hmm. the rest kind of falls into place. It really does. It's I didn't believe it when people told me that as an undergrad. And now I look back on it and I think I stressed myself out way too much.
0: <laughs> so who are your mentors? That's a good question. Um,
1: and Dr. Himmelberger had asked me about that um, during my previous uh, presentation with you guys and so currently i think i would say have like research mentors and they're these are people who i touch base with like on a semi like biweekly basis about the research projects i'm in and they're pediatric surgeons who are in the career field i want to be in and they guide me in those things mm-hmm. and it's it's a really formal mentorship where i had heard this person had mentored someone before i approached them and said Hey, I would like to be somebody who you mentor. Is that like, do you have the bandwidth for that essentially? And they said, yes. And we said, okay, how, like, and he started teaching me how to become a pediatric surgeon, how to start my own research project, things like Mm -hmm. that. And that's a very formal thing. Um, I would argue that like there's different types of mentorship. And so that's very important, right? Cause I have never done sort of independent clinical research from the ground up. And so from submitting the IRB all the way through, we're doing it together and he's there and I ask him all the questions. Um, I thought for the first time in residency and just as important are, um, I have a lot of mentors who are my senior residents who are also women. Um, and that was really new for me. I found, um, At Penn State in particular, there just wasn't, there weren't a lot of female attendings, particularly older female attendings, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The generation of women who, broke into surgery they're just now becoming like the experienced senior attendings on on service and so mm-hmm. um are still the majority they're the minority I would say in in the attendings and then they're the majority in the residents and all, now now mm-hmm. they've opened this door for all of these women to go into surgery and it's amazing and so um like one comes to mind right now who's um she's on the trauma service right now while I'm in the ICU and so if i'm in the middle of the night and i'm really stuck in the middle of something and i'm like you know i could really use a second set of eyes i call her right away mm-hmm. you know i don't think twice about it i feel very safe calling her i feel very safe saying like i'm worried about this what would you do um or i think i made this mistake what do you think mm-hmm. um and i think that is arguably as important, if not more, um, to just have this person. Like I just look up to her tremendously. She's a great physician. She's very thorough. She makes me be very thorough. She always has my back. Like I can't think of a single time where I called her and she didn't show up right away. And so there's two types of mentors in my life. And I think, they're both equally as important and mm-hmm. especially for my mental health too. Um, and they're just very different, but it's a challenging thing as an undergrad to, to find those things. Um, I think to sales, that's why it's so great is because those opportunities exist. Um, it takes, I think the younger you are, the more fortitude it takes on, on the mentees part to seek those things out. Mm-hmm. It's an expected thing as a young surgeon. It's not quite as expected, I think as an undergraduate student. And so, but I think that fortitude pays off, pays off. And I think the sales in particular nurtures that more than, um, more than pretty much anywhere, I would yep. say, but especially a big school, but I would argue even more than smaller, other smaller
0: schools too, so. Absolutely, and I agree. I actually, in the interview I had yesterday, um, Dr. Stewart, um, who's the head of the PA program, he mm-hmm. asked me, because um, I came from Rutgers, so he asked okay. me, you know, what are the things that you think are different and what you enjoy most about to sales? And that was literally my number one answer, was just that the faculty and staff are available for mentorship and they're so supportive. They would oh, yeah. congratulate me on things that I didn't even know they knew about, um, but they had heard from like someone else. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've gotten emails when I told them that um, my mother was going through surgery and, you know, they were just like, you know, thinking of you, if you need anything, let us know. Mm-hmm. And just the support that they gave it to sales is you could never get it anywhere else. And mm-hmm. it really, I think it's just goes to show that, you know, that environment's really, really important to your growth mm-hmm. and, it's not something that can be easily replicated anywhere else either.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think too, I tell everybody this: you can you can become a surgeon from anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if they have a curriculum that's certified to provide you with a degree, you will you can do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's more about what kind of surgeon you want to be, what kind of professional you want to be, right. This doesn't just have to be about me and surgery, but um, (laughs) like, who do you want to be this person? Right. And so the sales set me up in a way that said, this is, this is my tribe. These are people who I, I am better because of. And so when I went to medical interviews with medical school or even residency, I think especially residency because you're working like a hundred something hours a week and, Mm -hmm. um, you're in the trenches with these people and you're calling them in the middle of the night for help. And so, especially for residency, you're like, you're more attuned to who you want your tribe to be. And if you set that up, usually that tribe has been attracted by a certain environment, which has been attracted by a certain institution mm-hmm. and it all lines up. And so I think it's important to, to start with that and say like, you know, I liked this about the sales, And for me, it was, I liked the mentorship. I liked the one-on-one. I liked that I could say, you know, here's what I want to do with my life. And they said, sweet, how can we help? You know? (laughs) And then I went and found that at Penn State. And now I've Mm -hmm. come and found that in Utah and um, the mentors I have here. So yeah, I think that's wildly important. Like you said, that it's, it's super unique there. And you have a unique experience having come from Rutgers and have a comparison. I didn't have that there. And I think I took it for granted. And after I was like, Ooh, I got lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so um, It's good that you you exist to remind students of that.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. There is nothing so different than sitting in a class of 300 students. I'll tell the same story. I told, I told the committee. Cause I think it's a good one. Mm-hmm. I sat in a class of 300 students and intro bio and the professor looked at us and he said about half of are pre-med. I was not pre-med at the time. Um, he said about half of are pre-med. He said less than half of you are actually going to get into medical school. Mm-hmm. Just letting you know right now. And I was just like sitting there with like my eyes wide open thinking that is Awful. Like you yep. don't just tell people that. <laughs> it is awful. It
1: was I, so. I fun. would shake my finger at that person because yeah. that's also like it sets the tone for the environment that is pretty self-destructive yeah. when it comes to being a pre-med student. And so I would I would hope whoever that is would at some point gain some insight into what it was like to not. Not be good enough at any point in their life, right? Yeah, because that sets the tone, right? Mm-hmm. you're you're now trying to beat failure more than you are trying to be the best of yourself. And that yes. like, how you approach that is really important and by setting oh that just made cranes my gears <laughs> i
0: know i know it grinds my gears too and sorry i totally I was, interrupted like, you no, no 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 i i literally as like i wasn't even a pre-med at the time and i was like this is awful like if i was a pre-med at that time i would have been like well okay i guess it's just not gonna work out Yeah. and they like hmm. also just being in a class of 300 people you feel so unimportant yeah <laughs> Like and the funny thing too is in some of my classes the grades it would literally tell you out of three hundred people where you ranked and oh. let me tell you that is like the most demoralizing thing ever. Nice. Oh, <laughs> just just so beautiful. bad. They that's didn't all really do bad. it, but man, some of them did, and I was just like, this, "That's a choice. That's a that's a choice." This, and a half. Oh man, yeah, that's not <laughs> necessary. <laughs> My final question to you, and one that I think is really important, and I'm obviously biased because I feel very strongly about women in medicine and specifically women in surgery. Um, So what has your experience been like as a woman in medicine and also a woman in, in going into a field of surgery that, you know, like you said, there's a lot of residents, but there's not as many senior attendings who are currently women. So what has that been like for you?
1: Um, it is an important question. You're right. And it hits really close to home because I, I was raised in a family with two brothers, but in a way that said, like, I was no different. And so I wasn't necessarily expecting to ever be treated any different. Um And I have my father, my mother to think because she's just a badass lady who, you know, really really crushed it when it came to raising kids and being mm-hmm. a working woman and being the breadwinner of our family. And then I have my dad to thank for really treating me almost, I, I don't want to say harsher because he'll come back at me for that. Um, but <laughs> it might be true. Like I got that B and bio in uh, high school and he never let me forget it. Um, and so I, I was raised in a way to say like my, my existence is no different than anybody else's. So mm-hmm. I won't ever be treated any differently. And it turns out I was kind of wrong. Um, And that's really unfortunate. And so I think the way women are treated differently now is very different than what people expect. Nobody says you can't do this because you're a woman, but what they will, or what will happen is somebody will talk to my medical student who's a male as the resident and Mm -hmm. they'll address and they won't address me Mm -hmm. or somebody will address me. And this happens almost on a daily basis. And like, I really want that that to really sink in that this happens daily that people call me the nurse um, and they'll come up and say excuse me nurse um, even that happens regularly even when I walk in the room as introduce my and introduce myself as Doctor Brandt mm-hmm. um, but it, I mean it happens in my personal life too um, when family uh, you know asks me for medical advice and I say here is what I would do and then they go to a doctor who's an older male who does something different, it doesn't turn out well, surprise. Um, If you ask a surgeon about a surgical problem and you ask somebody who's not a surgeon about a surgical problem, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's really, it's on a smaller scale that I would argue is bigger and more important. Yeah. Because when you're fighting someone who says, no, you can't do this because you're a woman, all you have to do is say, well, yes I can. And you go and do it. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. now we're not being met with this blanket no. We're being met with subtle things that tell you no, um, regardless of the fact that you're trying so hard to prove yes. Um, And that has been, you know, I recently read a study that among surgical residents in particular, one of the leading causes of burnout is truly these microaggressions against women in surgery um, and not being treated equal. And it's interesting because when I, re- I heard of this study at the beginning of residency and I said, that won't be me. Like they can't be that bad. Um, and a part of that was because right. I was raised in this family who treated me so wonderfully as a woman to believe that I could do literally anything. And here I am. Uh-huh. And then, you know, when I came to Utah, it's a wonderful place, but the majority of the population is white. And it honestly, the predominating religion is the church of Latter-day Saints. Um, and oh, so yeah. I completely um, forgot about that for a second. Oh yes. my goodness. <laughs> and wow. so it's very interesting. And my, it's inter- my fiance grew up, he was raised in the LDS church. And mm-hmm. so we've had a lot of really interesting conversations about it where the role of women in the society here, there's a significant emphasis placed on family and, you know, traditionally tending to a home and supporting the home. Mm -hmm. And that's the case in many religions. Right. But it's, it's, I would say that belief is more current here Mm
0: -hmm. than it
1: was for me out East in Pennsylvania and things like that, where the, there wasn't necessarily such a strong overtone of religion. And so, Mm -hmm. um, Navigating that here perhaps has been more exaggerated for that reason. I don't know. Um, Because the other side of that, right, is you have this whole population of wonderfully kind, altruistic people who are really like working hard and are really grateful for, for your care and so you're navigating this where you're taking care of a wonderful person who just assumed you were the, a nurse because you're a female,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but they're wonderful and kind and just really not aware. And so yeah. how do you make somebody, because it's not about being a good or bad person. It's just about being aware of these small biases that we all have in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just to bring some levity to this, one way I have started to doing uh, started doing this is when someone says, oh, excuse me nurse, I will respond with, oh, I'm sorry, I'm actually a doctor, but what made you think I was the nurse? And you sort of watch that, it's a very like I never say it accusatory, but you watch them navigate their own sexism a little bit in yeah. that. And yeah. it's really gratifying to see <laughs> because then they eventually realize what happened and try and stumble over an answer oh. that maybe isn't that. Um yeah. So there is some levity to it. And I will say like being surrounded by just some really impressive female surgeons really helps. Mm -hmm. But there are days I've come home and I've been in tears over how I've been treated. And um, my fiance sometimes bears the brunt of it because I come home and I'm just like beside myself. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because I know, you know, as a Twenty-six-year-old surgeon, like I'm good. Like I worked really hard. I practice. I am diligent. I study, and like I go to work. And some days I come home and I'm like, I'm good at what I do, but I am not necessarily treated with the same respect uh, of a white male would be, especially here um, Mm -hmm. in the same climate. And that's very frank and might not be totally received well. But unfortunately, that's the experience of most. I would say, especially here, most female surgeons every single day. Um, So it's not even subtle, right? It's a daily thing. So, yeah, it's an important question. And I don't, the problem is I don't have an answer for how to fix it because it's not, like I said, it's not an obvious thing anymore. It's subtle things over time that build up and make you want to lose it. Um, But it's not any one moment. It's just a a sum of many.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I I agree completely. Like even being a pre-med and telling people, you know, I'm really interested in trauma surgery. Mm -hmm. The first thing I get is, oh, well, you know, when are you going to have time to have kids? And I said, uh, you know, what, what if this question. grand idea, A, that I don't want children, or oh, God. I just, you know, make it work like most that other surgery. Uh, <laughs> and it's so I was under the same impression. So my mother's a nurse practitioner and mm-hmm. I was I was I was always grown in like I was always raised in this environment that you can do whatever you want and you don't mm-hmm. need a man in your life to support you. You you can do whatever mm-hmm. you want. Mm -hmm. And so I'm fiercely independent, and my poor boyfriend Mm -hmm. just is along for the ride. (laughs) Good. um, (laughs) When I started telling people, Mm -hmm. I was really, really surprised by how, like, frequently people were just asking me, you know, so what about families? What about Mm -hmm. pregnancy? What about marriage? Mm -hmm. And i was like, um well, I want to be a physician. So, you know, make things work. (laughs) Um, And to other people, it just seems so out of this world. And to me, you know, I look at it, and I see, I know so many physicians who have families who are wonderful mothers. Mm -hmm. And to me, it doesn't make sense, because I'm not in that mindset. But taking a step back, I'm like, Oh, my goodness, I just wish I would stop hearing that. (laughs) It's just (laughs) insane. (laughs) It's upsetting too because uh, you are fortunate enough to have an
1: example of where that isn't the case, right? Mm-hmm. But imagine like you have these underserved populations where they don't have these examples, right? You have a little girl with this big dream of becoming a surgeon, but she doesn't have any example of, oh, she's been able to have a family and yeah. also do that. And now she's like pressured from her community where her role is to be a mother and that she has examples of, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's part of the systemic problem that preferentially favors certain populations to go into medicine. And that contributes to having disparities in care to certain populations who are inherently biased against other populations. And so it's kind of a vicious cycle. And it's, I'm, I'm really fiery about the family and having kids one too, because uh, like all of us do it. And the woman I was talking about, who's, I would call my mentor as far as someone I look up to Mm -hmm. just had a baby and is pregnant again. And is a chief resident in our surgical residency, you know, she's killing the game. And so it's, (laughs) it's just infuriating that somewhere along the line, somewhere, somebody decided that having a family and becoming a surgeon or any type of doctor is are mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. um, and I would argue that it makes women more. More apt at caring for other people, um, mm-hmm. and that's been studied. And it's actually been shown that female surgeons do have better outcomes than male, um, mm-hmm. and are paid significantly less. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just if nobody believes me, there's science to back me up. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. And I, I'm I'm insulted on your behalf that you're met with that response because I have seen many a calm, cool, collected female trauma surgeon here at the University of Utah crush it. In the trauma bay mm-hmm. and we just hired two more who are also women um and if i had to choose on any given day who is gonna have my back um i would be choosing one of them so yeah. um sorry that you're met with that on behalf of female surgeons who are angsty about it everywhere <laughs> i look forward absolutely. to seeing you running trauma someday
0: i sure hope so <laughs> um, but dr Brant, this conversation has been absolutely wonderful Thank you so much for sharing all of your insight and, um, just all of your knowledge and experiences. Um, it takes a special kind of person to, you know, be so upfront and transparent about what's going on in, you know, medicine right now and what your experience has been like. So I appreciate your honesty and sort of just your transparency about everything that's been going on with you for the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Uh, I think you can always count on me to give a pretty transparent view of what it's like (laughs) to be a surgeon. Uh, I think it's important that that everybody knows what they're getting themselves into if they're considering a career in surgery. But um, important to note that I would do it a 1000 times over. And I do think it's the best thing in the whole world. So I appreciate you having me and letting me voice that.
0: Alrighty, everyone. First, I would love to thank Dr. Brandt for taking the time to zoom in with me. I know as a general surgery resident, the hours are very, very long, so I really appreciate her taking the time to schedule this meeting so that she can share all this wonderful information with all of you. With that being said, if any of you are interested in suggesting a specific topic for Career Chat, take a look in the description and you'll find an email in which you can contact us. But I hope you all have a wonderful week and stay tuned for Carla's Beyond the Tassel episode next week. Have a good one.